Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm your host, David Altizer, with... Connor McCaskill. Today has been a crazy day. The date is September 12th, 2023, and a ton of products were announced today. Like, a ton. Like, Connor, way, way too many, honestly. Yeah. Tell us, tell us everything that happened today, because it's not normal. Well, first, I mean, first and foremost, the the biggest news of the day probably is just the Apple keynote event happened. So we got new iPhone and new Apple watches. So that's always exciting to talk about. Uh, But we also have just a ton of other camera related news. We have a brand new Fujifilm GFX 100 Mark II, which is very exciting. A new Sony Cine Alta camera called the Burano. I think I'm saying that correctly. It's kind of like a small Venice which yeah. is uh, pretty cool. And uh, also the new Lumix G9 Mark II. Um, so just a ton of various different uh, cameras. And I guess you could call the phones cameras too. So it's all camera news today. <laughs> it's all camera news. But uh, yeah, totally. Dave, should we just kick this straight off with getting into Apple? I mean, there's just a lot to cover. Yeah, before we get to the Apple, I just want to mention that both Connor and I did get some hands-on time with the Lumix G9 Mark II, which is... Uh, Panasonic's first micro four thirds body with the new phase detect autofocus system. So definitely check out both of our videos on our channels. Connor was kind enough to uh, kind of, well, I probably shouldn't say that because I'm going to get it anyways, but yeah, but I was kind, wasn't I? Well, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> no, know if you wanted me to reveal that you gave me your camera ahead of time. <laughs> so I don't care. I mean, they said it was fine. Sweet. Yeah. So yeah, Connor was kind enough to let me borrow his Lumix G9 Mark II, which I did clear with Panasonic. They said it was okay. Um, so yeah, check out Connor's review top five video on, on his channel. And then if you want a more extended ranty style <laughs> first look, uh, you can check out mine on my uh, DVD Altizer channel. Yeah. And then if you want the most extended version, stay here. Stay tuned. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, both Connor and I listened slash watched the Apple keynote together. We called each other and watched it uh, in our homes separately, but we were kind of talking through it. And yeah, I mean, just overall, what do you think about the keynote as a whole this time around for t- for today? It was boring. <laughs> <laughs> it was so boring. And it was weird. It's just the way they shot it. I mean, these Apple keynotes have become such a large production. Yeah. Um, and and I will I will get into the fact that they did up the production a little bit in some areas, but just as a whole with the presentations and the shot choices and all that stuff, it was slow, so much talking and not enough getting into it, which we think probably is just because they didn't have that much to announce. It didn't seem like too, too many things were changing for the Apple 15, iPhone yeah. 15. Um so yeah, it was just it was just bizarre. And you had a theory which could still be true. We don't know. Uh, but what was that theory? Yeah, like I don't know if you guys who if if you watched the keynote noticed this, but at the very beginning, especially and and a lot of the shots with Tim Cook in particular, the highlights were being blown out a lot in this keynote. And this could have just been a product of a bad color grade, which I wouldn't think is really possible with such a high production. Uh, shoot and I would imagine expensive color grade <laughs> process um, and so I don't know about you Connor but it just looked like an iPhone the keynote looked like it was filmed 
on a phone and they never confirmed that uh, I was assuming that that would be kind of the big reveal at the end is like, and the new iPhone 15 pro has an amazing camera. And by the way, this entire keynote was shot using the new iPhone 15, you know? Yeah. I mean, it would just make a ton of sense for them to do that. They've been really pushing the video specifically the video of these, uh, iPhone pros lately. Um, and it did look a little off. Now, sometimes it looked really good. And so that's when we were like, at first we were like, oh yeah, definitely iPhone. And then as it trended on, we're like, wow, if this is an iPhone, some of those look pretty dang good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Honestly, someone could have just biffed and they shot with Tim and they accidentally messed up their settings and they didn't want to reshoot it. And they're like, eh, screw it. Yeah. You know, just let's just go for it, you know, and the highlights are a little blown. So what? Um, yeah, I think I don't know. I guess that could have been it. It's just they were shooting on a profile maybe that didn't have enough dynamic range. Maybe they shot it like an S cine tone on a Sony camera instead of uh, instead of S log. And so maybe the highlights were just blown and, you know, yeah. just couldn't couldn't uh, restore the the highlights but i thought that was really interesting and a lot of the shots did not look as vibrant and as clean as some of the um keynotes in the past so there's yeah. a lot of wide shots too i noticed more so than than normal so uh, and a lot of deep de- deep depth of field as well for those wider shots so i don't know i yeah. really do think it was shot on a phone but it's odd that they didn't point it out um, I don't know, or not. Maybe they just or maybe <laughs> didn't use a good maybe camera. it was a mixture and it was just a test for them. You know, they're like, hey, let's see if we can mix in iPhone footage with the Alexa Mini, and yeah. and see how many people notice. It could be just a test like that. Um, for all we know, we, uh, I don't know, but I I do agree. Uh, go, if you're curious and you didn't watch the Apple event, I don't know who's listening to this and didn't watch the Apple event. You're crazy. Um, go check out some of those. Go check out some of those shots and, and see if you agree with us or don't agree with us. But let's just go ahead and get into, um, I don't know, do we care about the watches? They were pretty, th- there was one cool feature. Yeah, tell us the about the watch. watch. Um, so the new uh, Apple Watch Series 9 and Apple Watch Ultra 2, um, they both got a new feature, which is actually pretty clever. It's interesting. Almost It's, it's almost obvious, and it's weird that we didn't think of it until series nine for these watches but basically now you have a feature where if you touch your fingers together similar to like the apple vision pro how that works um you can do certain commands with the apple watch like answering the phone or pausing a song or whatever i think you can set it to do various things and basically what's happening is there's a bunch of tendons in your wrist and as you move them, you'll notice if you just look at your wrist right now and jiggle your fingers around, come on, do it with the class, yep. um, <laughs> you'll notice that your wrist kind of moves around just a little bit. And basically, um, they're using that to be able to tell that you're tapping your fingers together in uh-huh. a particular way to do actions on the watch. So it's actually pretty cool. I think that's a neat feature. Um, I yeah. wonder if it'll come to the older watches, but... That seemed to be about it, right? I don't know. Yeah, I think that was pretty much it. I mean, you, you're you an uh, Ultra owner. You've been using the Apple Watch Ultra now for a year. And uh, they added some... You were, you were actually like, let's see if I'm going to buy a new one. And there's nothing there for you other than that one feature that, that seemed interesting, right? Like, Yeah, I didn't... There was, when I saw the Apple Watch Ultra original, 
uh, ad, it was like, well, I guess I'm spending 800 bucks today. When I saw <laughs> this one, it was like, mm, okay, nah, there's no reason. So I think it's like if obviously if you don't have an ultra and you're looking to get an ultra, mm-hmm. just get the two. But they they are almost identical. Yeah, I mean I have said goodbye to Apple Watches ever since I've become a bit of a watch nerd. Um, so I'm not super interested. I've definitely just stopped caring about Apple Watches. I don't know. It, it was too much of a distraction for me, and I do love the uh, design of a proper analog watch (laughs) so (laughs) So fancy dave so fancy so so fancy um but yeah it was just overall like you said the keynote was kind of slower today than usual and they had a lot of kind of off-topic things to discuss there's a lot of environmental um discussion going on which is cool but i was just like does anybody really care we're here for the phone like come on let's just get to it i think people care I just don't know if people care for 20 minutes of the presentation. (laughs) Um, It was like, oh, this is like, oh, yeah, like uh, all recycled cobalt. That's awesome. Like cobalt mining is really detrimental to the earth um, and to all kinds of uh, just people in general. And Mm. it's like, oh, great. You know, all recycled that, all recycled this. That's really cool. Like, but we just didn't need to talk about it for 20 minutes um, or whatever. And then they had that. That was the one bit of production that they tuned, you know, they turned up a bit. Because they had the, um, it's almost like a little short in the middle where they were having the Apple meeting with Mother Nature. It's yeah. actually kind of kind of funny, um, kind of random. I think super random. Like you were saying, they were flexing their Apple TV um, directors and connections yeah. and all that stuff, which was it's like oh yeah, they should maybe use that. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just felt out of place in the keynote. Yeah. Then. We did move on to the iPhone 15, which essentially, just to blaze through it really quickly, essentially was just an iPhone 14 Pro and a cheaper body in a lot of ways. It's got the Dynamic Island. It's got uh, the same camera system, it seems. It's got the same processor from the 14 Pro. And this is the second year now where they've essentially added a lot of the features from last year's Pro line to the cheaper non-Pro line. And I think this just solidifies that moving forward, this is what we're going to see is that Apple will continue to kind of push the cutting edge on the pro line and then um, release a lot of those things the following year to the cheaper every man's phone. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I have a feeling that that's probably part of their plan for that whole carbon neutral thing. It's a way for them to recycle all of the pro phones into the in air quotes new phone which is essentially just an old phone repackaged so now i guess the question is would it be better to just get the 14 pro rather than the 15 regular sure yeah you get the the better um you know the stainless steel design and the um i think the optics are slightly better as well you get that zoom uh, zoomed in lens you could probably get it for the same price you get a 14 pro or a 15 but most normal people don't don't think about that or know that. But there is one feature that the 14 Pro does not have that all of the new iPhones now have moving forward finally. Drum roll please. USB C. Goodbye lightning. Should we have a a moment of silence for lightning? 
it's been um, a it's been a good run no <laughs> we've had we've had a long time with lightning i don't think it needs a moment of silence it's had its moment uh, yeah. and it's gone and now we're doing USB-C finally um i mean lightning was fine when it came out but like when USB-C became the universal standard it i mean we should have been using USB-C since at least the 11 <laughs> yeah I agree. you know it would have been a good that would have been a good point to do it right or the or the 12 the 12 was the kind of redesigned to the flatter edges that's true that would have yeah. been a good moment to be like and in addition to this new redesign with the flat sides we're also introducing USB-C. <laughs> so yeah. um but what's interesting is there is a difference between the pro and the non-pro and i'm getting ahead of myself because we haven't talked about the pro yet but the 15 is USB 2 speeds, which is similar to Lightning, which is totally fine because most people only use that port to charge it. And if you're charging it, USB 2 still gives you 100 watt uh, charging speeds. But if you're offloading, you know, 4K 10 bit files from your phone, it's super slow. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, if you're shooting 4K 10 bit, you're probably buying the pro so again it just it makes sense that apple would, would would do this you know yeah it does make sense and i think uh you know we can finally get the android users off our back about the whole oh you're still on that whole lightning thing oh that's really silly um, yeah <laughs> look my phone folds in half and has a seam yeah exactly <laughs> look at this crease dude my buddy he got the galaxy fold like the the one that folds vertical yeah yeah um uh, and He's like, dude, it's so awesome. Check this out. And he hands it to me. And immediately I rub my thumb across the crease and I'm like, I never want to touch that thing again. <laughs> yeah. I was like, foldable phone technology, we're not there yet. Whatever yeah. whatever that ends up looking like, it ain't this. Not to me. What's what's pretty cool too is that Apple did it reveal one of their newest accessories uh, to their lineup, a USB-C to lightning adapter for $29. <laughs> did they really i didn't see that yeah for 29 dollars, you can buy the best dongle they've ever created <laughs> wow that's amazing so i can't wait and to the smallest see... dongle they've ever made <laughs> yeah i can't wait to see people yeah. using this in the real world i'm sure we'll find people doing it so i will say it is nice uh we were we were chatting about it that you do get color matching i think they're braided cables with the phones yeah. Um, so that's going to be great because inevitably uh, I will be getting the 15. Uh, I don't, uh, we're getting ahead again. I, I don't think that the iPhone 15 Pro has that much over the 14 Pro other than, of course, the change in port to make it worth upgrading to. I just broke my 14 and it costs too damn much to fix. <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to get it. Uh, uh, replaced with the 15 um and you know it will be nice to be on USB-C. so um but yeah the uh let's get into the pro dave what's what's new with the pro what's going on well the the first feature that they at least announced in the keynote is titanium and it is kind of amazing that they can do this and it's really because apple is just the wealthiest company on the planet uh, most companies just don't have the ability to manufacture and machine something like this, but titanium is, you, you even said it, you're like, man, titanium, they even like use it in NASA. And then as soon as you said that, they cut to the Mars Rover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it might not sound like that big of a deal, but titanium is an expensive material 
first off. That's why most things aren't made out of it. Uh, and then secondly, it's lighter and stronger than aluminum, which is what the previous pro units have been. So there's no, uh, there's no compromise with it other than the fact that it's ex- more expensive for them, but that cost doesn't seem to be going towards us. I don't, the cost of the phone is the same as it was last year. Um, yeah, it is. I, I get, I don't know how they're getting away with it. I mean, and also if they're using titanium, that would of course be a non-recycled material because they haven't done that before other than I guess the Apple watch ultra, which is titanium, uh, which I will say is great. I love the titanium watch that I have. I mean, it's, it looks good and it's super robust and I've, you know, hiked with it. And, uh, I wouldn't say I rock climbed because I'm not that good, but I attempted to climb rocks with it. And, um, it looks pristine. Like it, it's just so strong. Yeah. It's, it's nice. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of into that just natural, uh, color that they have. They've got five different, if you really want to call them colors available, <laughs> unfortunately color. the colors are very muted, very low key, um, very gray, uh, and kind of meh. We've got black, we've got white, we've got blue, and then this new kind of silver, which is just, they're just calling natural, which I think is truly just the natural color of the titanium. They're not doing any colorization to it. I like that one because it kind of has a futuristic cyber trucky kind of vibe to it, which is kind of cool. I will say, I'm so I'm assuming, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming that the Apple Watch Ultra is the natural color of titanium, so it would be the same. Uh-huh. And if that's the case, I quite like it because yeah. um, I do like how the watch looks. That being said, on the website, yeah. I don't know why it has like a like an odd hue to it in yeah. their like little. I don't know. It I almost looks. It almost looks like taupe. I would describe it. You know, like on their. Uh, yeah, yeah. Connor, looks, you've looks, you've been talking ever since the twelve was gone. You've been just dying for that blue. And so I don't see why you would pick anything other than the blue. Just give it a shot. It looks good to me. It does. Yeah. It doesn't look quite the same. That deep Pacific blue from the iPhone 12 was perfection. And um, it doesn't look the same here. It looks close. It it looks a little flatter or desaturated, I guess, would be the way to put it. Um, So, and again, it's hard to tell the color on their website. I just feel like all their colors look not what they look like in real life. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's like the yeah, website what, colors look funky. Well, they're just 3d renderings. So when you see it in real, in the real light, uh, and you see how the light reflects off of it, it's different. And I think this is a valuable thing to talk about. I mean, a lot of people do just throw their phones in a case, but I'd be curious to see how titanium kind of wears down over time when you don't have a case. Cause I do think it'll be stronger and will hold up to scratches better. And it, it already kind of has a brushed, uh, it is a brushed titanium styling. So okay. I would imagine even if you have it completely caseless, even if you get little micro scratches on it, it, it probably will still look pretty good well, that's without the thing, a case. Though, what are you scratching titanium with? I mean, I don't know what yeah. you do on a daily basis, but uh, <laughs> I mean, like titanium is so tough. I mean, I mean, I guess you'd have to work with diamonds regularly, yeah, to scratch it. Um, I'm trying to Google just what the colors look like in the real world. 
without it being a render. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm not getting you'll, any. You'll start to that. see videos popping up on YouTube soon with everybody who's there getting the hands on, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll watch Justine and Marquez and see what's going on. Which uh, Marquez got a nice little shout out today, didn't he? On uh, He did. On the video. I, I think you missed it, but um, right there at the beginning, they were talking about the uh, 15 Air, with the M2 Air, and Tim was just like, talking about Marquez's review of it right there at the beginning. I was like, oh, dude, that's so cool that he got a, a shout in the video. And then they were showing yeah. some tweet reviews of different things. And I saw Justine and Marquez appeared again. So it's yeah. always good to see um, everyone getting represented. So that's really cool. So moving on to another hardware feature that they added to this, um, now that we've discuss the titanium is this this new button that they've added and they've removed the switch on the side the ring mute switch which has been there forever since yeah. the beginning well, um don't forget it's an all new innovation to the switch <laughs> that's how they phrased it an all new innovation yeah uh the action button which is just a button <laughs> but yeah um but it is not a it actually is a haptic button as well. It's not a physical button. It's actually just a piece of metal that when you push it, it will vibrate. Um, so that I think that also means that the volume control might be haptic as well. So that means we don't have real buttons anymore. It's all just haptic, which is interesting. Oh, um, it, or that may not be true for the power button because I feel like that's an issue if like something with your software gets jacked up and you now can't like do a hard reset. Wait, so, so you're maybe saying it's true. just haptic? I think it's, I think yeah, that, it's both. The action button. I know. I know for a fact that the action button is haptic because that's what Jaws said in the in the video. Oh, I thought he said w also has haptic feedback. So I thought it was kind of like it's a button, but it also gives you like a little like feeling that yes, it was successful. Yeah, but no, maybe I, think, I misheard it. Probably. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, haptic so yeah maybe maybe the volume and the power button are still real buttons um because that would probably be a software issue if like your phone got locked or frozen you couldn't push any buttons um yeah but this is anyway so this is a button instead of a ring switch and it obviously defaults to just ring in silent mode like it's always been but you can um make it anything you want you can make it a focus mode you could have it trigger the camera you could have it trigger the flashlight voice memo and then you could also make it a, a iOS shortcut, which means you could literally make it anything. With yeah. with iOS shortcuts, you could just say, when I push this button, open Halide, which is a pro camera app, or, or open you could, uh, Film Convert, or uh, not Film Convert, fi uh, Filmic Pro, you know, or yeah. whatever. You could also have it open chat GPT so that you can talk to a competent AI. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, um, I mean, that's, that's cool. That is cool. Um, <clears throat> Dedicated camera button. That'll that that's nice. I like that. Um, yeah, I think it's a I think it's a button, dude. I think you press it in. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just I'm just gonna go out. I mean, they call it. It's a button. Buttons press. You know. <laughs> um, unless that's the all new innovation they're talking about, introducing the new pressless button. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is cool. One of the things that they mentioned in the keynote that was actually interesting, I was starting to fall asleep at this point, but then they per perked me up just a little bit. Um, log. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You can shoot so, log now. Yeah. I mean, so the, moving on to that topic. Yeah. The 
the video features, which a lot of us are, are here for because a lot of you guys are video nerds like us. The biggest one really for me is, yeah, that you can do 4K 60 ProRes RAW externally onto an SSD and they've also added their own log as well. So this is a big deal because Filmic Pro has had their version of log, which was pretty good, but I've talked to the engineers at Filmic Pro and they've said the problem for us is that, you know, even with the log, they would still get some of that weird HDR effect going on, even in log, because essentially there's a layer that's in the way for them as a developer that isn't letting them get just the raw sensor data. It's it's still doing the like machine learning stuff and then Filmic Pro takes it and turns it into log. So my guess is, is that Apple is essentially just releasing the raw data off of the phone, I would, I would assume, but they might yeah. still want to do some of that machine learning stuff. But if they've talked to any filmmaker, like filmmakers, just, just give me the raw sensor data, make it log, don't do anything to it. I'll do it in post. So I would imagine if it's approved by the Academy, which they announced, you know, this is like official Academy grade log with proper ProRes with ProRes raw like they're really trying to kind of say all right you guys have been asking for it here it is not a lot of people do this there's a very small subset of 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 niche creators doing it and they're probably on the high end of things but it is a fact now that there are real high-end high-budget productions being done that are shot on phones intentionally because of advertising on TikTok and on Instagram and stuff like that. And so this is like, it does make sense to do this uh, as weird as it is. I know it even kind of feels even weird saying it, but it's like there are million dollar productions that are shot on phones now. So right. um, do you it's think, very interesting. Um, do you think Mr. Beast will shoot with log? <laughs> Well, he still he does. He, they shoot on the R five C, and they don't shoot log on that. So I wouldn't imagine that he would. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do think that this opens up the door for most creators probably being okay with a phone as their YouTube camera. Um, even though we're talking about so many different cameras, even just today, <laughs> that are opening up the door for I think people. But yeah, I think what it does for people like you or I or these other content creators is that it makes our phone another tool that is more viable because it's like it's not it's never going to replace fully the camera but well maybe not never I shouldn't use those words but for at least right now it's not going to replace the camera but what it does allow is like oh shoot something's happening I don't have my camera and I need it to shoot something and I need it to look pretty okay yeah the iPhone is now even better better than it was because sometimes you'd shoot some things with the iphone you're like hey uh, uh, it looks pretty good and then other times you'd shoot things with the iphone and you're like wow this looks like an iphone and it looks really bad uh so it just kind of depended on the lighting that you're in and all that stuff and occasionally the hdr would work in your favor sometimes it wouldn't um so log you know it's just another another way to make the the iphone a better tool i like it Yeah. And there's some stuff that has um, gone live on Apple's YouTube channel. Um, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, There's a whole like five minute video kind of showing some behind the scenes on a proper film set with the iPhone. 
I think that's kind of interesting and, and, and cool to see, um, with the, the fact that you can plug in a USB-C port and have the ProRes going onto a USB. So you don't need to buy the most maxed out iPhone anymore if you're doing professional video work. Like that's always been something, which is kind of odd for them to do, honestly. But like, that is something that I've thought. It's like, okay, I do want a phone. And I want to be able to like shoot some pro stuff. I'd love to mess around with ProRes, but I can only afford the 128 gig version. Like I don't really want to shell out the cash for 512. Well, now you can just output it over the USB-C port onto an SSD and you can use the ProBlade uh, handle from Condor Blue uh, on an iPhone cage or something, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. Uh, that, was a, that was a neat thing. I, I, don't, know who, I don't know who's going to use that really. Um, Tyler Stallman. <laughs> um, but wouldn't you just, I mean, at that point you're rigging up your phone and making it the size of a camera. It's like, wouldn't you just use your phone as is? <clears throat> That's kind of what I mean. Yeah, but I th- I think there is an aesthetic to a phone. Like it's it's different. It has a different look than a camera. Even and now it's looking so clean. Uh, the footage is looking really good. Like there's a Olivia Rodrigo um com- uh, uh music video that was shot on the iPhone 15 Pro. Apparently, mm-hmm. they just showed some behind the scenes on it, and it looks really good but it still has that subtle phone look to it yeah it does look like a phone so so i think that like that's been the problem is like there's always been this plasticky hdr effect on everything even when you're using filmic pro because of that machine learning crap going on and it's just like just give me the raw sensor data like it's fine if it's noisy like i'll light it i'm gonna light it with my lights i'm gonna denoise it and resolve and they never gave us that layer of just raw straight off the camera. And now we're getting it with ProRes, you know, 10 bit log approved by the Academy. Like this is a big deal, I think. Um, yeah. And it seems like Apple's done a really good job with their color science too. Cause it, it does look good. I think um, it does. I mean, it just looks, it just looks clean. Like you said, clean is a perfect way to describe it. So clean. Um, there's no depth of field, you know, like you're not going to get a lot of blur necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you get the artificial blur with the cinema yeah. mode, but in the hands of a proper cinematographer with good lighting and with a, a good colorist, like you can actually shoot on a phone. And again, it has to, the reason you would do it is for the, um, you know, the fact that it's small, so that's cool. But then really, I think it's the aesthetic. It's It has a vibe. It has a phone vibe. They're using uh, ND filters in that video you're talking about with Olivia Rodrigo. Uh-huh. Yeah, to help with the motion blur. Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, like, I guess if you search Get Him Back, that video just went live on her channel. Yeah. So you can actually watch the whole thing. Yeah, music video was shot on iPhone 15 Pro in collaboration with Apple. So that's pretty cool. That's the first time I think they've truly worked with an artist where they just sort of sponsor the music video itself, which is a smart move. That's super smart. Yeah. But yeah, if you actually watch the music video, I'm really impressed with how it looks. I think it looks like if you told me that was a phone, I would be like, yeah, I guess I can see it. But it doesn't have a lot of that. It doesn't 
pull you HDR out of it. crap. Yeah, that's yeah. I think that's the thing is like it doesn't pull you out of the content just because it was shot on the phone. Like it looks good, it was shot well, it has dynamic movement, mm-hmm. good set design. Um, I am noticing. I'm looking at the back of the phone. I just paused it at about 16 seconds, and you can. Oh, actually, that's really clever. It says 16 seconds recording on the iPhone. Nice, and it matches the YouTube video, which also said sixteen seconds. Oh, I, I, see, I see you, Apple. Um, that's that's <laughs> great. But um, when it's plugged in over USB C, it, it does show up on screen. It has a little icon that says USB C um, mm-hmm. to, I guess, let you know that yes, it is understanding that that's where the footage is going. Um, so, a little visual confirmation. So, I think for people like us, Connor, this is definitely a no brainer that we need to purchase one and do a bunch of videos on the video because this is, I think this is truly quite a leap with video performance and and video features. We've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. Specifically. Yeah. I think it's just really because of the log. I also find it interesting in their video. I'm watching still more behind the scenes. It's, it's literally a 30 second video, but there's little things to pull out. So again, they're shooting on ND filters, but anytime they cut back to the camera, they like Mm -hmm. the the literal camera elements, they always remove it. So they don't want you to really see the ND filters. Yeah. Cause I think they want you to feel like, Oh, you can just get it without ND. That looks so great. But well, I mean, it does look good, but you need ND. Yeah, it's weird because um, we all know that they're, the built-in Apple app doesn't have shutter speed uh, adjustment. So mm-hmm. does that mean that maybe they've worked with Filmic Pro to give them the this new log layer without any of the machine learning crap. So you can do the proper shutter angle stuff uh, in Filmic Pro, but it'd be cool if Apple gave you the ability to lock your shutter speed uh, in the built-in camera app. That'd be cool, but I don't know how they do it. I'm not seeing it in this example. It doesn't look like there's a way to lock your shutter. Um, Actually, there's some nice bokeh going on at 26 seconds into the video um, if you guys are following along. But um, uh, I don't think there's any way that I'm seeing to lock your shutter. I think that they probably just know. It's like, okay, if you have a certain strength ND filter, it makes it, I mean, they're, you know, they have all the specs and all the numbers. So they're like, oh, we need to use exactly this VND in this lighting situation to, you know, have a more proper shutter. It's probably still not perfect, but it just makes it better. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think it's cool. I th- we're definitely going to be seeing a lot of people doing reviews on this thing and talking about it and, and hacking it to all to no end. Um, but I think this is exciting. And then another thing that's just as exciting, I guess, in a way is the fact that they're also enabling on the pro the ability to do um, virtual reality capture or Apple Vision Pro spatial videos. Oh yeah, I kind of um, forgot about that. That's something uh, you and I called in our previous um, uh, podcast about the Vision Pro. Yes. So the Vision Pro is obviously you know a VR headset essentially, um, and one of the things that they were showing is reliving your memories. And c- kind of one of the funniest moments in the video was a shot of the dad experiencing his kids having a birthday and he's wearing the headset and that's how he's capturing it because the cameras are built into the headset. And we were like, that's obviously ridiculous. Nobody's going to do that. It'd be great if the iPhone could do it. 
That way you could just use your phone just like any normal person. And uh, sure enough, here we are, shoot magical spatial videos, then relive them on Apple Vision Pro on the website here. They're using the wide lens and the standard lens um, to create that 3D depth map um, in addition to the LiDAR, I'm, sh- I'm sure as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it looks. Um, obviously when you're doing proper 3d recording, you want both of the lenses to be the same focal length. So one is wide and one isn't. So it'd be interesting to see how, um, how they do that. Yeah. Sorry, my kids are screaming. Um, it's okay. Um, yeah. I feel I, like they're probably just going to have to zoom in artificially on the wide, which mm-hmm. means that one, if you want to think of it like I, uh, one of the eyes is, a little blurrier, but I guess they probably somehow make up for that with AI and machine learning. Yeah. Um, I guess we kind of skipped over the fact that there is a new uh, lens. You can do a 5X zoom at 120 millimeters. Yeah, and that's um, only on the Pro Max, by the way. Did you notice that? No, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> so Because I will not be getting the Pro Max. Too big. Don't want tablet. Yeah. So yeah. So unfortunately, we're uh, if you're on the max, um, you get the five x zoom now, which is a crazy zoom with 120 millimeters. Um, yeah. But uh, on the standard, you get the standard three x, which is what we've had the last couple of years. I do believe both have advancements though with the sensor, the wide sensor, the the ultra wide, the standard wide, and the telephoto. All of them have newer, larger sensors. So all of them are getting a bump in overall image quality, uh, but only the max is getting the 5X or 120 millimeter equivalent I'm not, zoom. I'm not seeing where you, I mean, I'm sure you saw it in the presentation, but on Reading their over, It's on, on their, their website. For iPhone 15 Pro Max, we designed a 5X telephoto uh, camera. Okay. Because right above it, it also just says with iPhone 15 Pro, you have seven Pro lenses in your pocket. Yeah. So... Uh, it's interesting that they worded it that way. Um, but you don't actually get the 5X in the Pro, the regular. Yeah. S- sad day. Um, I love how, too, on the iPhone 15 Pro site, it says overview, and then literally the next button is switch from Android to iPhone. Like, it's right in your face. Like, here's. Oh, really? You guys ready to switch? Like, I wonder if the USB-C has a lot to do with that. I don't know. But... Um, so yeah, on the topic of USB-C, with the Pro line, we get a USB 3 speed, which is up to 20 times faster uh, than the standard Lightning or the USB 2 speed. Um, they're not saying 20 times faster than the iPhone 15, which they also announced, but that's technically what it is. But, uh, but yeah, the new USB-C connector lets you charge your Mac or iPad with the same cable you use to charge your iPhone 15. Bye-bye cable clutter. Yeah. It's like, Although, um, it's funny how they're making it such a big deal that they've changed it, but they're the ones holding out this whole time. <laughs> well, it is funny because every time Apple releases something that's existed forever, it, it always feels like they're basically saying, yeah, so we invented this. <laughs> yeah, we invented yeah. USB. It's like USB-C that other guys use, not the same. Look at the <laughs> one we invented. Um, it is interesting, though, that they finally went USB-C. So it's like, you know, your iPhone, your iPad. But then the MacBooks now have MagSafe. 
yeah. which I'm a fan of Max uh, Max Safe. I, I like Max Safe, but it is funny. It's like it could have they could have released it again back with the iPhone 12, and then everything would have been Type C. Yeah, everything, and it would have been so nice. But well, you can you can use USB C to charge your laptop if you really want to. Yeah, you can. It's just you know I have this nice braided cable uh, of the uh, of the MagSafe, and it, it just I don't know. Would you take would you would you take another USB C port to get rid of the MagSafe and have four mm, instead of three? No, no, no. I love MagSafe on the MacBook. It's great. Yeah. No, yeah, I, th- I mean it makes sense. There's MagSafe on the iPhone as well. It's the the magnetic on the back as well. So they both have those magnetic uh, okay. systems. It's just different. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. Um, so. I mean, I guess that's it, right? Like it's, you know, it's faster, it's better. There's there's more uh, processing power. They showed some games that you could play on it that were really impressive, but who's going to do that? Nobody. Yeah, they um, showed the Division. I was like, why the Division? I was like, the Division is a dead game. It's been dead for, is, but... exactly. It's been dead for years. When they showed it off, I was like, why Why that game? No one plays <laughs> it's it. It's so random. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think... Now more than ever, it makes more sense to use a phone for especially social media content. You know, there's if if unless you're doing high end filmmaking type stuff and you really value, you know, changing your lenses and having large full frame sensors and stuff. Like honestly, most YouTubers can totally get away with a phone. They already could uh, to begin with, but now even more so. I think yeah. this is, um. It's it's showing us the future and it's going to just keep getting better and better. Like it already looks really good today. Imagine just another five years, like how much more <laughs> it's going to be. So I think yeah. this is the nail in the coffin for the camera industry in a lot of ways. I think cameras are still going to exist as a niche, but um, as we've seen in the market as a whole, the entire point and shoot market is completely over because there's no reason for a mom to buy a point and shoot camera anymore because the oh. phone is just so good yeah the only people who are buying point and shoots are people who want to relive the glory days yeah um other than that it just doesn't make any sense what's so i, I will say i have one small bone to pick with apple right now um in the keynote they're like you can get a thousand dollars when you traded an apple uh, iphone 11 or newer and you're like wow that's really awesome and then you go to their website and then it says immediately you can get 200 to 650 dollars when you trade in your <laughs> iPhone 11 or higher. Yeah. So I was just like marketing. Oh. I was like, "Oh, so you're lying." I mean, there's probably <laughs> some like one person in the world qualifies for that 1000 bucks. And then I I put in my 14 Pro um and it it was like, "Yeah, we'll give you 500 bucks." And then I was like, "Well, the back screen has a crack in it." And they're like, mm, actually, we'll give you nothing. <laughs> they're like, we'll recycle your phone for free. Congratulations, buy our new phone. I'm like, wow, uh, you're just going to recycle it. There's no, like, you're not going to, what are you going to do with it? You're just going to turn it, you're going to melt it down to its components and use it for the next phone. That's what you're going to do, whether it's cracked or not. Um, <laughs> so I don't understand you, Apple. Um, so that's a little sad, but that's it. That's my bone to pick with yeah. them. I think that their trade in, policy is dece- uh, deceiving and um yeah i agree a little a little predatory but you know it is what it is 
I think it's time to move on to some of the other amazing things that came out today. Um, we've talked for about 45 minutes about the iPhone, uh, which is a worthy thing to discuss because it's a big topic, but, um, we've also got a couple of new cameras. Do you want to just go straight into Lumix since it's the only one that you and I both have actually had some time with? Sure. Yeah. We'll maybe keep, I mean, since we're already at 45 minutes, maybe we keep these a little bit briefer, hopefully. Otherwise we'll be at a three hour podcast. This is going to be a Joe Rogan podcast before you know it <laughs> Four hour interview. Um, yeah. So the Lumix, it, apparently it's the, is it the 15 year anniversary of mirrorless cameras, right? Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, it's, so it's in their little presentation that they sent me. So the camera was sent to me by Lumix for disclaimer. But um, they didn't pay me, and um, they, I don't. They didn't say, tell me I had to say anything. But they did, I did have a call with Sean, uh, who's really cool, and he just kind of was showing me, you know, the different things about the camera. But yeah, it's the fifteenth anniversary of the first mirrorless camera in two thousand eight. Hmm. Um, so that's why they chose to do the G nine Mark II, I guess, because their first mirrorless camera was the G one. Okay. So I think that's why they chose to make this camera for the anniversary. Um, but yeah, it's it's a micro four thirds sensor, which um, not many people are doing anymore. Right, Dave? Yeah. So this is the first phase detect autofocus micro four thirds sensor from Panasonic. And it's what a lot of people have been waiting for. The GH5 really was a huge hit. A lot of people bought that camera, even though the autofocus wasn't great. It wasn't as much of a topic when that came out. And then obviously Casey Neistat's uh, vlogging days happened. He actually switched to the Panasonic GH5 for a couple months. And I remember talking to Matt from Panasonic and he said that when he did that, their sales like went through the roof. It was like the best sales they've ever had in the history of Panasonic when Casey Neistat switched to the GH5. Um, so that was during the YouTube kind of vlog era and a lot of people were upset that the autofocus just wasn't standing up to Canon and Sony at the time actually wasn't even where they are now. Uh, they were actually a little behind Canon in their autofocus performance, but it was still better than Panasonic. But that camera still went on to sell tons of units, was very popular with filmmakers. And even still to this day, a lot of people probably listening to the show own a GH5 or had owned one and used it and probably loved it. It was a fantastic camera. I know a guy who... Um... He runs a aerial production company, but he has like a uh, a package that he sells to clients. It's like a 15 camera setup or whatever, and he uses a combination of GH5s and GH4s, even. Yeah. Um, and he shoots commercial work with them. I mean, granted, I think the idea of it is what I I don't know exactly what he does with it, but basically, I guess it's just like here's a ton of cameras, and they're kind of cheap, and we can do some cool stuff and with that. Um, but he's, he trusts them to work and to work well. So Yeah, it's it's wildly popular. And they try to, you know, kind of follow that trend with the GH6. And they just added even more features to that uh, several years later. But it was a little, a little too little too late in a lot of ways. Because everybody was hoping to have this phase detect autofocus system in the GH6. And it did not have that. And so... Um, stirred up a lot of people got them really upset and we had to wait a whole nother i guess a year and a half two years until the s5 mark ii to where we kind of at least got the message from panasonic that they are embracing 
phase detect moving forward. Right. Um, so this is the first Micro Four Thirds option. They have told Connor and and us that that this is a photography camera, but it's hard to believe because all the features match almost perfectly with the GH6. There's very few features that the GH6 has that this doesn't have. Yeah. So if anything, you could almost call it a GH6 with good autofocus, um, which is a great thing to say because the GH6 is great. Um, but that also makes me think, ooh, this is exciting for whatever they're going to do with the GH7 because they're obviously saving that model, the GH line for the video professionals. Mm-hmm. I would imagine it'll be similar to whatever the S5H or the S, S1H Mark II or whatever that's going to be. Because right. we still haven't seen the pro line of the full frame options either. Um so now, we're getting kind of the middle range of both cameras. Yeah, I feel like right now, or both sensor sizes. Um, one I forget who it was. I was talking to someone who is a it is a really big Lumix fan, and he was mentioning he's like you always you always buy the GH cameras on the odd numbers. <laughs> he nice. Did, that, that's when they they're good. So GH five was good. He's like GH six. That's going to be a pass. He's like GH seven though. He's like, that's going to be worth looking at. He, <laughs> totally. he might have been right. I don't know. Maybe he has some insider knowledge that I just don't understand. But but for me, I am a huge fan of this G9 Mark II. I think the branding and the, the naming of it's a little interesting because um, the G9 was supposed to be the photography camera, but it almost seems like a Micro Four Thirds version of the S5, whatever that is, I guess, in a way, like we were just saying. I mean, it, and if you look at the bodies... It literally is. They literally took the exact same body, same button layout, same grip, same everything yeah. of the S5 II and just put a Micro Four Thirds sensor in it. The buttons are a little different. There's no fan in it, um, but it's got a Micro Four Thirds sensor, exact same body, which is interesting because Micro Four Thirds allows you to have smaller cameras because the sensor is so much smaller. So I would kind of probably rather have a smaller camera if I were able to choose uh, but that's not what they've chosen here. They've chosen to just embrace the body they already have. Probably saves them a lot of money. It's a design that works well. It's well designed. It's got a full size HDMI. It's got USB C. It's got yeah. um, that same XLR port that you can use on top. Um, the camera can do 5.7K uh, recording, open gate as well. It's got the phase detect autofocus system. And Connor, you did some side by side tests with the autofocus compared to the S52X. Did you find it to be more responsive and and as good or better than the S5 with autofocus tracking? I found it to be better. I I, I think it it felt like it was more confident, I guess would be the way to put it. Because with uh, face detect, we we did see a nice boost in um, autofocus with the S5 too and X. Um, But it, it, it still... It, 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 the word I would use is unsure. Occasionally, it would be like a little unsure of itself, right? It's like, uh, yeah. is that a human? Maybe it is. Is he moving? Is he not moving? I'm not quite sure. Um, it works really well for me 95% of the time, but occasionally it does It does little hiccups. Um, in my experience, limited experience, mind you, uh, but still with my experience with the G9 Mark II, I did find it to be more confident. I think I don't. I don't recall it missing focus. Um, yeah. So that's great. I also love that they updated the um, visual experience of the autofocus system. So now those boxes are a lot smaller. 
Um, so when you have multiple people in the frame and it's, you know, basically saying like, hey, you can autofocus on any of these people, but there's in the S5 II, there was just, the boxes were huge. So with three people in your frame, it's just a lot going on, right? And they're all bouncing around. Um, they they slimmed that up a lot and they made it look a lot better. And it also seemed to work um, in my testing um, really well in poor lighting conditions. Mm. Um, I had a buddy of mine, Chris, uh, kind of go pretty pretty dang far away from me and then just walk towards the camera and it was pretty dark and uh, it, it found him immediately. I didn't even input anything. I didn't tell it like click, look here or anything. It was just full sensor autofocus. It found him uh, and it was tracking him all the way to me. And then it switched to uh, face and eye uh, pretty pretty far out still, actually, I thought. So it seems like whatever they're doing to help with detection mm-hmm. of subjects um, improved. Yeah, and tell me more about the the sensor because I didn't get the the kind of the email that you got with all the information on it. Is yeah. it similar to the DGO sensor from Canon uh, with the C70? Is it doing a, a kind of a blend of the two exposures to make one better dynamic range shot? Is that right? That's how I understood it. Yeah. So when I talked to Sean, I, I specifically bought, brought up the DGO Canon sensor from the C70. And I said, so it's similar to this. And he said, yes, it's similar. Not the same, but similar. I was like, okay. Um, but cool. from my understanding, they gave us, uh, a, like a PowerPoint presentation of like, just to help us like understand the ins and outs of the camera. I wish they would let us use this in our video. I, I was very specifically told that I could not, um, which is a bit unfortunate, but from what I see, it is capturing two different uh, signals like the sensor is able to capture two different signals so one is tuned for low ISO and higher saturation and then one is tuned for high ISO and lower noise yeah. and then those images are then combined to give you a better highlight saturation and lower noise in the shadows image just like the DGO sensor yeah that's that's exactly like the DGO from Canon except I think Canon has three uh, things put together so it's got high mid and low and then he okay. blends all three of those together <clears throat> i believe don't quote me on it but that's exciting and based off of the footage that i saw from your uh, time recording it in nashville there were some great big wide shots of nashville a lot of dynamic range in the image and it looked really good it looked like it was holding it really well it looked clean yeah great saturation great colors i'm a huge fan of this sensor i think it looks great and one of the coolest features in my opinion uh, which is maybe kind of dumb that it's one of my favorite features, but is the Leica monochrome. Well, hold on. I, I do want to touch on that because I agree with you. That's one of the best. But I, I want to tur- turn back to this dynamic range boost thing. Oh, uh, sure. in, in my video, I, you know, I shot, um, well, I, actually, I shot with three cameras, actually. There's some R6 Mark II in there, and then there's the S5-2X, and then there's the, the G9 Mark II. Yeah. But uh, I only used the Canon for a brief bit in the beginning because I needed to hold both Lumixes. Um, but when you get to some of the more uh, dramatic lighting differences of me on the bridge and then the sky in the background with the S52X, I did notice that the shadows were just like a little, like it still looks good. Like I like the image out of the S52X, but 
it did kind of feel like the G9 was just holding it a little better, like all of it. Wow. Um, which I think comes from that dynamic range boost. So it's like, I, I kind of wish that that was in the S5-2X, you know? Well, the, the truth is, is that this is a brand new sensor, according to Panasonic. I, I think it's similar to the GH6 probably, but they're right. not, they're calling it new, but <clears throat> I think it's, my guess is that it's the GH6 sensor with phase detect. So that's why they can call it new. Right. But that is a newer sensor than what's in the S5 two. The S5 two is the a seven three sensor, which came out several years ago. So this is a newer, um, just overall stack. So it's just cleaner maybe. So I don't know, but because of the micro four thirds, uh, sensor size, you're just not going to get as good in low light, uh, overall, but I'm just, I'm real impressed with it. I think it, it cleans up nicely. It looks great. I love taking pictures on it. It's just like a nice soft shutter press. Um, and then the Leica monochrome uh, profile is fantastic, especially with the tiny little lenses that I love using uh, with my camera. The, the, the uh, 15 millimeter Leica F1.7 is just like the size of a body cap, basically, and um, makes it so light and easy to carry around. Um, I do wish the camera was smaller. I, I, just, I think the camera's too big. Um, I would love to see another version from Panasonic. They used to have a ton of different Micro Four Thirds cameras that were of all different sizes. Um, and there's usually compromises with the smaller sized versions not having all the pro video features. Yeah. I would love to see some of those coming out because I think that would be just like a way, a to... way cheaper camera maybe yeah like give me the same kind of phase detect autofocus but just like a small essentially like an x100 type competitor you know something that's just small i would almost compact. think more like a um maybe more like an xt30 competitor you know sure it's like it's it's solid it does some things it has a lot of things that hold it back but like it's 800 bucks so who cares you know it's yeah like exactly some, something more like that um the x100v is like at that point you're asking for a fixed like that's a fixed lens thing that's a little different but something more in line with the xt30 would be pretty awesome well i, I say x100v because they used to have a camera i forget what it was called but panasonic used to make a camera that was the size of an x100v but it was a micro third sensor so you could put that little 17 mil lens that i have on it and it's just this tiny little pocket camera um hmm. uh, Something like that would be fun. I don't know if they're ever going to do that. It seems like Panasonic is is kind of slowly rolling things out. I mean, it's been almost, you know, the last camera they announced was back in December of last year. And here we are in the middle of September with this new one. So, Well, if you count the S5-2X as a separate camera, then that one came out in, what, June? Well, they yeah, but they announced it at that same thing that we were at. That's so, true. Yeah. yeah. But um, anyways, I think... Um, it's exciting. Uh, I think it's a, it's a step in the right direction. And if you're a GH5 fan um, and this has all the features that you need, then this could be a good option. Um, that being said, if you want to see what they're going to do with the GH7, I think this is promising. This, this proves that uh, it's going to be pretty awesome because the autofocus is performing as good, if not better than the S5 on this unit and it's micro four thirds. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that th- you know the the body being larger yeah, could be a downside, but I was informed that all that extra room 
did allow for a lot of things when it comes to stabilization because the stabilization in this camera is really good. And, um, uh, you know, just also probably dealing with heat. So since it's bigger, it can kind of self-regulate the heat a little better because it doesn't have a fan. Uh, they removed the fan from the S5 II body. Um, so that's how they're able to still do 5.8K open gate in this camera and it not like have a significant at least in my testing, a significant overheating issue. Um, so yeah, the body design being larger is maybe a downside, but it's also kind of a positive. Yeah, totally. And again, if you're coming from a GH5, it's the same size as that. I think it's actually smaller than the GH5. So um, it's a similar size to that. Um, and you're getting all these other features, which are fantastic. And the, the addition of the USB-C charging, which the GH5 didn't have, you get the same, if not better, IBIS performance, which is best in class. And that's something to say too, like the IBIS on this is even better than the S5, just because there's more room for them to move it around. Yeah. Um, so for me personally, I like this camera a lot and I'm going to be using it um, quite a bit. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of it and uh, we'll probably use it over the S5 personally, because I like the smaller lenses. I love having that IBIS and it doesn't bother me that... Um, it's not as good in low light. Yeah, I'm excited to use it in conjunction with the S5, but it won't replace the S5 for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's a really cool camera and it's a solid um, extra camera to have if you're in the Lumix system. So, uh, and it's a solid main camera as well, honestly. It just depends on what your needs are. But um, yeah. I think it, the, pr- the price point does put it in a weird spot. It's the same price um, as the S5 currently. It's, it's actually $100 more than the S5 Mark II is currently. Uh, context of it's on sale. The S5 II is on sale. Um, yeah. Because typically it's $2,000 compared to this, which is $1,900. But they're so similar. Um, they're so similar. Yeah. So that's kind of the problem is like, if you're starting fresh, you probably should go ahead and pull the trigger on the S5 too, because the full frame optics are, um, better and it's, you know, just generally a better image going full frame. But you could also argue that if you bought the G9 too, you can just, you can get a much better deal on lenses in the micro thirds world. You can buy older lenses, you can get adapted lenses, um, the Micro Four Thirds lenses are like 200, 300 bucks. So it's a lot yeah. cheaper to kind of get in the door with that. So if you're getting started and um, you think this is good enough, then yeah, I guess that's a good option. But And you get the uh, Leica mode, which is pretty snazzy. Yeah, I will I love say black and white Leica monochrome feature. It's fantastic. It looks really good. You would think it's just, oh, what? It's just a black and white filter. It's like, yeah, but I don't know. They might be doing something funky there because it really does look better than just a standard black and white dude i don't know not all black and white profiles are made the same that is for sure (laughs) um and this this is fantastic like i i yeah i i shot some shots that i'm like ooh, i i really ooh, i really like that um so they i think the leica lumix collaboration i mean this if they're doing this with this camera just man when they release their flagship camera can you imagine because it'll probably be a stack sensor it'll probably do the they'll give you the you know the dynamic range boost they'll give you maybe two different leica profiles whoa wouldn't that be crazy you know like that camera's gonna be awesome it's gonna rip yeah absolutely so 
I don't know. We talked about that camera for a while. Not not a lot of people are watching both of our videos. I think the interest isn't there generally, but I think over time people will start to uh, develop a love or a fascination by it. But that wasn't the only camera that came out today. The Fuji GFX 100 Mark II was announced. I don't have anything to say about it because I didn't watch any videos and I personally haven't used uh, any of those cameras. I know you I, have. So. I can I can say a few things about it. Um, it Condor Blue released a, a solid video on it. If you guys are interested to go check that out, um, but uh, it so it's a hundred and two megapixel sensor, right? So it's a meaty boy. Uh, the images that you know, if we used the GFX camera in the past, didn't we? Or no, were you not? Did you did you just use the Hasselblad? Yeah, the Hasselblad is all I've ever used. Okay, well I've, I've used messed around with the, the um, there, but. Yeah, I've used the GFX cameras in the past, and uh, the images that you get off of it are nuts. The photography on it is insane, and this one is going to be better, faster, better autofocus, all the things, right? And it's smaller, too, because the original GFX had that like built-in battery grip thing, and you can put a battery grip on this if you want that. Um, but the, it looks a lot more like the GFX 100S in terms of its design, but it looks really sleek, like... It's pretty cool. They do have a removable uh, electronic viewfinder, which is cool. And they c- you can also put one on that's tilting as well. So you can remove the one that's on there and then put on a tilting electronic viewfinder, which is uh, a nice touch. But really the thing that gets me with this camera, and I would be interested to try it, is it can do, um, I think, 8K RAW out through USB-C, I believe. Um, I'm trying to find the information on it again. Um, yeah, it's doing 8K now, um, and then you can do ProRes out. Uh, or it's on- actually with HDMI, it says, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. So but, can do Atomos. Yeah, so it it has some nutty video features, basically, is what I'm, what I'm getting at. And... It also has a super 35, uh, uh, I'm sorry, not a super 35, but a regular 35 millimeter mode or full frame uh, mode. And so technically, Fujifilm just made their first full frame camera um, in a weird, <laughs> a weird roundabout way, uh, which I love. I think that that's great. There is a, uh, a switch right on the top that goes from still mode to movie mode. So it does really feel like they're targeting video users with this camera. So a medium format video camera with Fuji vibes. I mean, could be cool. <laughs> could be cool or could not be. I don't know. It could be super clunky and slow. And, you know, a lot of the GFX cameras are a lot slow, a lot slower. Um, but I haven't used it, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it does look pretty small too. I mean, in the hand, it, it does seem kind of a similar size to any modern uh, full frame camera. So, um, you in the past, going medium format uh, makes the camera just super massive, but they've just, the technology has just advanced so much that they're keeping the whole body pretty sleek. So, this is exciting for sure for Fuji. And um, I'm curious to see just more developments with that. Um, you know, their autofocus on that, I think, is pretty good, but it's probably not as good as a Sony or a Canon. Um, that might be your your compromise, I would assume. But yeah. I would imagine that the new the new camera is going to be 
better than ever. So I'd love to get my hands on it and have a play with it. I know Condor Blue had had a copy and uh, they posted a, a video review with, with our friend Jake and uh, you could check that on their channel and uh, they're building a cage for it um, and the ProBlade SSD handle will work with it so you can record the ProRes straight off of the USB into their little SSD handle. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's not cheap. It's seventy five hundred dollars. So, uh, but I will say that's twenty five hundred dollars cheaper than the original GFX one hundred. Really? I yeah, that, that was much. that was ten grand out the door, body wow. only. Um, yeah, I mean one hundred and two megapixels, five axis image uh, stabilization, four K sixty, ten bit out. Uh, that's what it's saying here on the B and H. Maybe it doesn't do raw out. I might have misspoke, but um, it does have a nine point four million dot EVF, and from talking to jake who did use it he said that it's awesome so well it says that you can do um 422 10-bit apple prores or use hdmi to record 12-bit 422 apple prores raw or blackmagic raw in resolutions of up to 8k 30 frames oh there you go so right. if you go out of the hdmi into like the new atomos recorder they have the new ninja uh yeah. they can do the 8k stuff uh that would be what you would get so Dude, that's pretty beefy. That's and it's medium format. So honestly, that's gonna be my uh, whenever I get super famous, that'll be my thumbnail camera. Yeah, dude, uh, that was something that we noticed because Hasselblad let us borrow the Hasselblad X1D for like I held on to it as long as humanly possible. Um, I think I had it for about five or six months, even though it was supposed to just be for a, a review. They never asked for it back, so I just didn't say anything. Yeah, you just kept quiet. <laughs> And I was, I took it to Germany and we used it when we were at the very last Photokina, which was a total blast. That was one of my favorite trips ever, Connor, Mm -hmm. going on that. I agree. But um, we used it for all the thumbnails there. And every single time I would like edit the thumbnail and Photoshop the raw image, Connor, I'd be like, Connor, look at the thumbnail. It's like, oh my gosh. It's (laughs) like, there's some sort of mojo magic to medium format that's just it's it's so different than what we well talk about polar opposite of micro four thirds <laughs> like yeah um, just that larger sensor size is just amazing and I do think I know we're talking about the Fuji but I do think Hasselblad has their own vibe that is different it, it has its oh, own yeah. look that I really like as I well. mean so. I'm a Fuji film simp for sure but Hasselblad that has some mojo and really I mean it, it's the same thing when you're shooting film right so you shoot 35 millimeter film versus mm-hmm. 120 millimeter film 120 millimeter film looks so good <laughs> it's just like you look at it and there's just like a i don't know like a depth maybe would be the word you could use to it and i think the same thing goes for Hasselblad when you're shooting the or the fuji film when you're shooting those medium format uh, yeah. sensors it's like there's just something about it. you're just looking at it. it's like you could almost dive into the picture i mean there's yes. just there's just a quality to it that you can't describe now you're gonna pay for that <laughs> absolutely um but it is nice so yeah uh, new gfx camera we love to see it uh you, you rock fujifilm release the next 100 v please yeah of course please yeah 100 x100 vi i guess uh version six or, or they might just call well, it the mark ii because the mark v was II. so the popular yeah totally um but anyways uh wh- why don't we just uh let's just quickly wrap up because we're not qualified to talk about the new sony burano burrito burrito yeah, yeah the new sony burrito uh, cine alta camera it's basically sony's 
Alexa Mini. Yes. <laughs> this is the Mini. The, the Alexa Mini has been cemented as like industry standard for a long time running. Uh, it's super 35. It's small, it's compact. It can go on gimbals. It can go on drones. But it's also used uh, as an A camera for so many productions. Very, very wildly popular. Even though the actual Alexa itself is technically the flagship, the Mini is like one of the most popular cameras in the high-end cinema world. So the Venice, the Sony Venice and the Venice 2 compete directly with the Alexa flagship, but there hasn't been a proper Alexa mini competitor. You could argue that the FX9 or the FX3 sort of is in that territory, but those really are kind of just um, advanced hybrid cameras. I would say <laughs> the biggest competition that they may have had maybe was the c500 mark ii sure um that might have been the biggest competitor to an alexa mini oh yeah in terms of dynamic range and color science and stuff but i just speaking to my friend chris haggerty who owns a c500 mark ii nobody rents it from him and he will offer it like on shoots that people are like hiring him He's like, I have a C500 Mark II. And it's like, oh, no, we're, we're just going to use the Alexa Mini. And he's like, it's worse, but okay. <laughs> so yeah. like, it's just so synonymous with just professional productions around the world. Well, it's worse, but it's also better. There's no, an intangible yeah. quality to the Alexa. But uh, Sony, Sony has been making some ground with the Venice. A lot of big movies have been shot on the Venice, the Venice oh, yeah. 2. Obviously, James Cameron worked with them directly uh, to develop the Venice 2 specifically for the new Avatar series, and he's continuing to work with them. So that's a huge win for them. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, uh, I believe Mission Impossible, the, the newest one, and also Top Gun were shot on Venice. That's right. Huge, massive $100 million productions. And it's starting, the word is getting out. Lots of DPs are using the Venice, but they needed an Alexa mini variant, something smaller. And that's what this is. The Burano 8K digital motion picture camera. It's a full frame, you know, equivalent or as cinematographers would call it, they would call it uh, large format is what they, they'll call it. Um, 8.6K sensor in body image stabilization. So that's, that's cool. I guess they're using the same IBIS technology from the mirrorless cameras, but putting it in a cinema body. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see if cinematographers will like that. I've heard that cinematographers hate that because when you mount it on a car, you get all sorts of weird stuff. So I would assume that they probably have a mode that you can turn it off and they like lock it down somehow. It would have to have that because the whole point of the mini was that you could put it in places that the LF couldn't go as easily which is like in cars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now, like you said, it is an A camera as well. So that's great. So if you're right, if it has a lockable mode, which I don't know, uh, that would be um, great. Um, it's got the adjustable indie filter. I wonder if it's that electronic one. It doesn't say that. I think it's it is. proper. Is it? Oh, yeah. Electronically variable indie filter. Yeah. It so is. it's that same kind of f thing from the FX6. Is that right? Yeah, it is. And that the FX6 electronic um, V&D is the best. <laughs> awesome. It's so cool. Like you want to say that it shouldn't work because you hear auto in our world and you're like, mm, no, wrong. <laughs> um, but actually, 
it is uh, really freaking good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, so uh, dual base ISO, 800, 3200 ISO. Um, they're showing it off as like, and they're kind of marketing it as designed for highly mobile solo cine style shooting, but the price is $25,000. So I don't see how that person solo cine style shooting would be buying this over the like FX6, which I feel like is kind of more of that like mid tier, mid budget, you know, running gun owner operator person. Whereas this to me is more of a, you put it on a gimbal and use it for music videos, commercials and film. I feel like this is a real true film camera. Yeah, this Um, is, I feel like this is meant to be rented. If they're talking yeah. about the, I mean, it just is. There will be people who own it, obviously, but yeah, this is this is the one where you you build out your your rent package and lens rentals, uh, and uh, for your music video or whatever, and that's it. But it looks cool. I mean, it'll. I imagine it'll do really really well. Like you said, they're really making headway in the yeah in the whole cinema world. Um, I think that you know, these higher end DPs are starting to get with the niceties of, you know, the more compact mirrorless cameras. They're sneaking their way into these higher end cine cameras now. Uh, And they're convenient. And I think that that's why the Venice is maybe becoming more popular and this is now becoming even more popular. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, totally. I don't have anything else to say about that. Uh, I think you can definitely check it out. You know, you can do PL mount, you can do E mount, uh, with the IBIS really exciting stuff, but I'm probably not going to be interfacing with this anytime soon. So it's pretty cool though. For sure. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah, I will, uh, probably never touch it. That's not true. You work with Armando. He'll get <laughs> one. He'll, he'll fly you out. You'll film BTS with Armando. That's he'll true. shoot a, he'll shoot a film on it. Yeah, on, on actually that that's probably going to happen, but we'll see. um so if you guys are still listening to the end of this podcast i would like to share um just some news with you guys uh connor and i have just been getting so crazy busy and i personally am about to have another baby my wife is due in about a month uh to have our third child so things are going to get really hectic and this podcast has been one of my pride and joys uh (laughs) while we're talking about pride and joy um, I've really enjoyed this podcast. I've loved doing it and I love the audience that we have here. And I really loved having Connor come on board and doing this as a, as true partners, uh, for the last year and a half. It's been a lot of work though, with next to no financial, no financial gain whatsoever. Yeah. Zero <laughs> financial gain. Zero. Um, and to be honest, that was definitely one of the goals last year was like, okay, we're going to just work the channel. We're going to really think about our titles and thumbnails and play the game. And I don't know what it is, but it just, it didn't take off um, the way we were expecting. Um, there were definitely some that did really well. Um, and the the variable with that were, was that every single video that performed really well on our YouTube channel was an interview. It was an interview with Tyler Stallman, an interview with Kai W., um, which makes sense. They have massive audiences uh, on their own. And when their face is tied to a podcast thumbnail on YouTube, people click it because they recognize their face from YouTube. So it obviously it makes sense. Um, we also pitched the show to a couple different companies 
for sponsorships, for brand partnerships, and there were just no bites. And we're going to continue to explore um, people who may, may be interested in sponsoring the show moving forward. But Connor and I both have just decided to kind of take a step back from the overproduction of it, of this show, and just bring it back to its core, which is what this is, audio podcast. And what's great about this is Connor and I can do this much easier. I'm just sitting in my office with no lights, no camera, just my microphone. Um, we don't even have video webcams turned on, which I think kind of helps the vibe feel more conversation on. I don't know about you, Connor, but yeah, it was kind of, it makes it just feel more like a phone call, which we can talk for hours and hours on the phone. <laughs> I've literally been talking to you since noon and it <laughs> yeah. is four o'clock. <laughs> That's true. So you and I have been with a 10 minute break. We have been talking for four hours. <laughs> That's true. Um, so, so it's something that we do naturally yeah. anyways. And, uh, I don't know. I, th- I think this is a way that we can stay consistent, even if we're traveling like Connor, you know, travels quite a bit with, with our mutual friend, Jim Cook. And, you know, even if it, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't think you're going to want to do a podcast while you're doing a Jim Cook shoot. You're not going to have any time, but it just depends on <clears throat> how late I get to bed and how early I have to move again. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, technically travel is fine when we're doing the show. Cause all we need is a decent microphone and we can actually record in a hotel room if, if need be, um, and not have to worry about bringing a bunch of cameras and bringing a light and all this stuff. Um, and to be honest on my end, I was doing a lot of thumbnail, uh, design, which I'm really grateful for because I developed a lot of skills making the thumbnails for this podcast that I'm now applying to an entire career that I wasn't expecting. Um, so I am doing thumbnails for a lot of different creators um, and I'm working with another company doing some consulting. Plus I have my own YouTube channel. Connor has his YouTube channel and the clients he's working for. Yeah. So we just want to take a step back from the podcast for a while in terms of the video production on the YouTube channel, but we're going to just do this audio show and make it more regular and, and experiment with this again. So did I cover all that? correctly connor Uh, yeah i think so i think you know we are still toying with the idea of like okay let's you know something happens and we get a guest and it's like yeah maybe if it makes sense we might still do a video variant occasionally but the goal is gonna be like it's just i don't know i find these podcasts to be almost therapeutic in a way uh just kind of chatting talking tech and um i think it feels like i don't know necessarily why but it feels like people really enjoy Dave and I just chatting about camera gear and um, <laughs> we want to keep it going. Uh, even if it's not necessarily making money, it's, it's fun. And um, yeah. yeah, we just want to keep it going. So this is the way we can do it as of right now. And then if times change and suddenly we're able to ramp up the video production again, it probably means we got a sponsor. <laughs> totally. uh, <laughs> so yeah, cross your fingers for a sponsorship guys. Cause that'd be cool. Yeah, man. So Anyways, I guess that's it for this episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. Feel free to reach out to us on our social medias. You can find me at DVD Altizer on X or Instagram. Um, Connor's on Instagram, Connor underscore McCaskill. We'll link all that in the show notes, obviously. Um, We'd love to chat with you guys who listen to the show. Let us know your thoughts, too. If you listen to the end here, here we go. Here, I'll call this out. If If you're listening right now, please send us a message and say, hey, fan of the show glad you're back audio only is fine that's how i consume it anyways (laughs) so yeah or go 
Connor and Dave, what are you doing? Stop being lazy. I want video. Give me video now. <laughs> That's uh, right. Both are appropriate responses. We just like one more than the other. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> cool. Well, it was, it was fun talking to you, Connor, but I'm, I'm ready to stop. Yeah, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs>